John says, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. If we have known and believed the love that God has for us, for God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. He who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. If it, someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him that he who loves God must love his brother also. Says so God to help us this morning. Father, we thank you for your love that we have in your son, Jesus Christ. And our heart's desires as we look at these scriptures this morning is that you would grow us in our love for Christ and that you would love, grow us in our love for each other. Father, we pray that the world would see our love and know that we are his disciples. Father, we ask it in his name. Amen. Venice and I was eating breakfast this morning and her phone beeps and anytime it does, it's tragedy. <laughs> Jim's hung in Atlanta. So I'm going, uh-oh. <laughs> and so that's why I'm up here this morning. But I kind of knew that it may happen or it could happen, but I just got to the point where I said, well, it can't happen, so I'm good. <laughs> but it did happen. So, you know, we'll ask God to help us this morning and pray that he'll bless what he says this morning. But I wanted to start with the fact that we concluded last time by looking at the great love with which God loved us, what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, and that great love with which God loved us is the redeeming love of God which brought about so great a salvation to us through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, we pointed out last time that this love that John has talked about here can only be seen supremely in the work of redemption through the only begotten Son of God on our behalf. Now, God daily shows us various worries through all kinds of circumstances and situations, many tokens of his love. In fact, we pointed out last time, even in, in chastening, where we've seen in Hebrews chapter 12, he loves all his sons and daughters, and he corrects each one of them that he receives, and he does it for their profit. But in 1 John 4, 9, John said that in this, the love of God was manifested. And when he says manifested, this is how you can clearly see the love of God, that he sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Now, whether you know it or not this morning, that is the good news of the gospel. You know, that the incarnate Christ came into the world to go to the cross and die on our behalf for our sins. And God's love is made visible to us in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Now, we've been, we've been talking about a group of heretics called the Gnostics. 
and the Gnostics was continually denying and trying to destroy the doctrine of the incarnation of the Son of God, the fact that he was fully God and that he was fully man, that he was actually the God-man. And we said that what they were trying to destroy was what John said back in the gospel in John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then Paul says in 1 Timothy 3.16, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. So we just pointed that out to say this. It's just very important that we believe the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ because a real incarnation of the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, if, we does, if that does not happen, we have no gospel to preach. And that's why John fights so hard against this error that they were teaching. The Holy Son of God had to leave the glory of heaven. He had to take on flesh, go to the cross, and die for sinners in order to bring us back to God. And this was all necessary that God's plan of redemption would take place. We read this scripture all the time. 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. That Christ Jesus, and this is about the incarnation, came into the world to die for sinners. So without that happening, you do not have a salvation. And then we have Hebrews 10.5. He says, therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. So this whole passage implies the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ, his body being offered up for our salvation. And then my favorite scripture, John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So we're just pointing out this morning that the love of God is clearly seen in his willingness to sacrifice his only begotten son to die for our sins on Calvary's hill. There is no greater gift possible than the gift of the only begotten son of God. Now, another thing that we looked at last week was the greatness of the love of God in the recipients of that love. Because this is what John says in 1 John 4.10. He says, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. In other words, this unexplainable mystery of the love of God in the fact that he freely loved us. He freely loved the people who did not love him. God loved the people that before, before they was born, he loved them, and he, then he loved them when they lived on this earth through the depravity of their nature. Even at the times of their lives when their whole heart was turned against him, while they were hating him and sinning against him, he still loved them and sent his son to be the propitiation for their sins. And not for their sins, John says in John 2, 3, but for the sins of the whole world. So John, when he's talking about love, he's talking about that it's God's love is a costly, self-sacrificing love. And this is the way that he approves his amazing love for us. And then the last thing we looked at basically at 1 John 4.11, he said, Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought, and that word ought means obligation, obligation, we ought to love one another. So he uses God's love in sending his son to die for us on the cross as an incentive to love one another. One translation says this, if God thus loved us, 
dear friends, we in turn are bound to love one another because if we do not love one another, we are not responding to God's love for us as we ought to. How can you hate anybody knowing what God has done for you? There's no way. You know, what, what, what happens when hate tries to come in my house? I'm in my house when I say my house inside this temple tabernacle right here. God runs me right back to the cross. When hate tries to come in and you would hate somebody and he reminds you of what he did for you and through his son. Spiritually speaking, when you look at the cross of Jesus Christ, it plainly says two things. And this is basically what the, what the cross says to us. And we never think about this. God looks at his children and he says, look at this. And I can tell you this. When you look at the cross, I love you. You know, the second thing he says, love one another as I love you. Because the cross is not there only for the fact that we love God, but the cross is there for the fact that because, we, because he loved us, that we need to love one another. So what we want to look at this morning is love and the indwelling of God. Love and the indwelling of God. John says in 4.12, we read it just uh, a minute ago, no one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. Now, other translations would say it this way. If we love one another, then God remains in us, and his love, our love for him is complete in us. And he's saying here that if we love one another, and when John says love one another, you need to put it in action. You understand what I'm saying? Like, if we are loving one another, because you can say you love somebody, but no action is ever involved in it. And that's the easiest way to love somebody. They say, brother, I, you know, I understand what you're going through, but I love you. How about doing something about it? How about helping me or whatever else you need to do in the midst of when you're going through all these things? But if we love one another or loving one another, then God actually does live in us. And if we love one another, God's love in, in us is growing to maturity or is growing to perfection. Now, in verse 12, John shows the relationship, basically, of our mutual love for one another and God's love in us. And what he's saying in this passage is simply that our personal experience of God's love will be seen in our love for one another. You said, God loves me. Then, if God loves you, then you will love your brother, is what John is saying. And he's saying here, he's saying that we have experienced the love of God and it's going to manifest itself in brotherly love. Because John knew when he wrote this letter, he knew that there were some who were professing to be Christians who were not actually loving the brethren, or you say brothers and sisters, because they were only showing lip service. But he challenged them with this fact of practicing Christian love. And this is what John is telling them, you know, about Christian love. Number one, if you have love for one another, it is proof, it is evidence, it's assurance that God dwells in you. This is a big deal. Because, you know, we're always talking about the Lord's in me and the Spirit's in me and all these kind of things. John says, if you're not loving one another, he's not in you. And he says that plain and clear. And then the second thing he shows us that his love is being perfected or it's being brought to maturity in us when we love one another, because when we love one another, we are growing in the love of God. 
Now, when I talk about growing in the love of God, I want you to know this. There is no imperfections in God's love. God's love is perfect. You know, his love cannot grow, but we as his children can grow into his love. So to simplify what John is saying is when we love one another, God's love has been perfected in us. And he's saying that God's love for us has been brought to its proper end. So when we're practicing love for one another, it's evidence that the goal of God's love has been reached in us. In other words, the purpose of God loving you is being fulfilled in you when you love one another. Now, have you ever thought about the purpose of God's love in your life? You know, like you could give me if I asked you this morning, I said, well, well, why did God love you? You could give me all kind of answers, you know, to redeem me, to forgive me, you know, to save me, to deliver me. And, you know, you say he just loved me. OK, well, John is saying this morning, he said his purpose of loving us is so that we will love one another. The love of God did not come into your life to make you a spiritual introvert. Y'all know what that is? You uh, people say this all the time. Well, I'm just not like that. God says you are now. Because my love is in your heart. And so what God's love does is it pushes us to love others. The love of God pushes us to take the gospel to the world. If the love of God is in you, it's going to be action coming out of you, is what John is saying. And see, that's why I like to read John, because I need guys like John. I need somebody to just hit me right straight up with it, and I don't have time for you to explain it to me. Just tell me what you mean. And John says, if you don't love anybody, the love of God is not in your heart. And he's talking about love in action. So when brotherly love is in your life, it's God's love fulfilling its ends. And if brotherly love is in your life, it's going to bear fruit. Because if the love of God is in us, the fruit of the love of God will result from that love. First John 4, 8, John said, he who does not love or who is not loving his brother does not know God, for God is love. So if you read the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 6, the very first one is love. And every other fruit after that springs off of the love of God that's in your heart. And so that's the very first one. That's the most important one. And without that number one, you don't have any of the rest of them. You may think you do, but you don't because every one of them spring off the fruit of love. Now, John makes a statement here. He says no one has seen God at any time. And I think he simply makes it because he's going to tie it in to our mutual love that we're to have for one another. He makes the same statement in John 1.18 in his gospel. He makes this statement. He says, no one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father, he says that he has declared him, or he could say, you could say that he has interpreted him or he has made him known. Now, when he talks about Jesus being in the bosom of the father, he's talking about nearest to the father's heart. He's in the intimate presence of God. When he came into the world, Jesus was in the intimate presence of, the God. He, of God. He left that intimate presence. He came into the world to show the invisible God to us and what God is like. And what John is saying is God is invisible. No man has ever rested his eyes upon God. Now, to give you a few texts concerning this, 
Colossians 1.15, Jesus is called the image of the invisible God. In 1 Timothy 1.17, God is called invisible. 1 Timothy 6.16 speaks of God who no man can see or has seen, who alone has immortality, and he dwells in in approachable life. So what John is saying is, is whoever or whatever believer practices mutual love, then when he practices it or she practices this mutual love amongst uh, one another, then God's love becomes visible in the lives of those whom he dwells. And all he's saying is, is that if you want to see what the invisible God is like, watch believers as they love one another. And you can see what God is like. As we love one another, this is the major way in which people in this world can ever see the invisible God. That he is the God of love living in and through his people. The world clearly sees the love of God that people put on display between each other. When you hear people talk about, you know, like, I want you to go to church with me. First thing they say, well, all they do is fight dinner. I mean, like, you know, they're always into it. You know, they say all these things, but, you know, they fight continually. They're contentious. They're this. They're this. They're ugly. They're this, everything else you want to say. And the reason why is because they don't see the love of God in them. So what kind of help can they give them if they see an unloving church? I'm going to tell you this morning, brethren, you may have a strong gospel and know every, everything about the gospel. But if it's not love in it, it's completely useless. It's useless. Some people have all the theological facts you could ever have. And they can be some of the nastiest, contentious people you ever may meet. And then some people can have little or no theological you know, knowledge at all. And they are some of the lovingest, Christ-like people that you will ever meet. I tell people all the time, I said, some people put me to shame as a Christian who don't have near the light and knowledge that I have because of the love that they have. Because of the love of God working through their lives and coming forth as I see them loving others, loving the souls of sinners in any kind of way that they may love them. So basically John is declaring that it is Christ who has declared the invisible God. He has come down to earth from heaven to make him known. And I believe in this passage John is telling the church He is telling the church that the unseen God who was once revealed in his son, Jesus Christ, when he walked this earth. You remember Jesus told Philip, if you've seen me, you have seen the father. Well, now that Jesus is gone, the unseen God is now revealed in his people. And if we are not loving one another, then that shows, you know, loving one another, then we have nothing to show to the world that is the heart of God. So God's love will be visibly seen in the lives of those in whom he dwells as they put it on display by their practice and their actions. Paul says, Romans 5, 5, in Romans 5, 5, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This is what Paul is saying. When you were born again by the Spirit of God, God has implanted in every believer's heart, you know, his Holy Spirit, and that is a spirit of love. And this love that comes with the Holy Spirit will express itself visibly 
to the world and to the church, and they will see the love of God in action. And this is a for sure confirmation that the love of God dwells in you. You know, and Benicia will tell you she's married to me. I don't always show the love of God at home because little things get on my nerves. But that's no excuse for not showing the love of God. And you know what? Every time something comes up like that, and you know, like, because I'll tell you what we really are. We really are when we're at home or we're in solitude. That's what you are. Okay? And so I said, well, you know, they're not here. They can't hear me when I snap at her and things like that. And then God says, but I hear you. And he does. And so you, so the question will come up. And if, you practice, if, if, if you're studying First John, you're going to get crushed by love. So when you study these subjects, Pastor Jim will tell you he's going through Hebrews and stuff like that. There is so much stuff when you're a pastor or a preacher, you're studying these things that you can only say one thing when you get out of your study. What a great hypocrite I am. Because you're looking deep into these things. And you're looking at what God is saying into these things. And so people say, well, you know, I want to be a preacher. I want to jump in the pulpit. I want to tell everybody everything that I know because I know a lot. And you know what? If you're not living it, it's all done. You know, Paul said you can have knowledge. You know, you can have everything. And if you do not have love, it is absolutely nothing. And you basically are nothing but a clanging symbol or whatever else Paul says. So now I want to give you some things that John gives them because he's going to give him assurance that they live in God and God dwells in them. Number one, he says that by this we know that we abide in him because he's given us of his spirit. Because we have the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit certifies the indwelling of God in our hearts. And the Holy Spirit in our hearts is the seal and the assurance of our union with God. Not only that we are you know, united with God, but that we are united with Christ. Now, I love these old guys like Augustine and others. And this is what Augustine says. He asked a question. He says, whence know we then that he has given us of his Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to put this in good English. He says, how do we know that we have the Holy Spirit? And Augustine says, what is the evidence? And you know what he says first thing? Ask your heart. He did not say, ask a charismatic preacher, because he's going to tell you tongues. That's the first thing he's going to tell you. That's how you know you have the Holy Spirit. Augustine said, ask your own heart. And he says, if it is full of love, you have the spirit of God. That would be the last thing we would think about. Because we would say, well, you know, I can see it in the power of my life. You know, in the great fruits in my life. Well, like I said, all the fruits come off of love anyway. And he says, well, he says, do you think you have the Holy Spirit? Then you go to your heart and ask, you know, your heart, do you have the Holy Spirit? Because if your heart tells you that you have a heart full of love, then you have the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to say, he says, he says also, he says that, whence know you that you may know that the Spirit dwells in you. I like that English that you use, whence know you that, the, that you may know that the Spirit dwells in you. And then you know what he says? He says, ask the Apostle Paul in Romans 5.5. 5. And the reason why he says that is because when God saved you, the love of God was poured out in your hearts by the Holy Spirit. You say, what is he saying? When God saved you, 
you were no longer the hateful little wretch that you was. And he put his love in your heart. When God saved you immediately, you could forgive anybody. Y'all in here with me this morning? You know, I was telling you last time that when I got saved, I really didn't have a lot of people to forgive. I need a lot of people to forgive me, you know, for what, you know what I'm saying? I really didn't. And, and uh, you know, I'm sure, but I wanted them to forgive me for the things that I had done to them. And, uh, but when he saved me, he definitely put his love in my heart. Now, have I loved perfectly since then? No. Have I had to fight? Yes. Do hatred, hatred, hateful thoughts and all these things still come to my mind? Yes. But you know what? If the love of God is in your heart, if the Holy Spirit is in you, and I'm telling you this morning, church, you can overcome. John is going to tell you later in this letter that you can overcome the world, you can overcome anything because of the Spirit of God that is in you. And that's what God is saying is he said, you know that um, my love is in your heart because you have the Holy Spirit. The second thing he says here in verses 4 to 15, the confession that Jesus is the Son of God. When you make the confession that Jesus is the Son of God, then you have evidence that God abides in you. Now, what's so big about this confession that Jesus is the Son of God? Well, number one, this is the testimony of the apostles to the Son of God, that he is the Son of God, and testimony to the fact that God sent him on a saving mission to this world. And so Jesus and all the other apostles, as I reminded you when we first started this series, they were eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus Christ on this earth. And just looking back at 1 John 1, 1 to 4, they bore witness to his life on this earth. They walked with the Lord Jesus on this earth. They were instructed by him, and they saw him and touched him. They saw him with his own eyes. They touched him. They saw, the, the apostles saw the outworking of Jesus' redemptive mission all the way to the cross, even to the resurrection and ascension out of here. That's the confession that he's talking about this morning, that Jesus is the Son of God. They have beheld and bore witness that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world and that Jesus was the Son of God and that he was on a mission for the Father. And that mission was salvation of our souls. And brethren, that is the nutshell of the apostolic faith, that he came and accomplished what the Father sent him to do. And then John goes on to say, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, believing all I just told you, God abides in him and he in God. So by believing this truth, that's when you enter in fellowship with God and you enter in fellowship with each other. And all that is assurance that you belong to this God and that you are a child of the Son of, I mean, a child of God. Now, let me give you two things about confessing that Jesus is the Son of God. Number one, when you talk about the Son of God, it stresses the fact that Jesus is not merely a Son of God. But this, is, this word is definite and distinctive. It's unique. We told you that last time. It's the Son of God who believers know for sure and love that he is truly the Son of God. He came directly from the bosom of the Father. And this is a confession that the Gnostics would not confess. 
John was confronting them and they refused to make this confession. And there's people still in 2023 will not confess that Jesus is the son of God. And you know, we, John talked about Antichrist a while back. And if everything's true, what people believe about the Antichrist, there will be a man that comes on the scene that will try to tell you that Jesus is not the son of God. And there's plenty of them right now in the world that will tell you that Jesus is not the unique son of God. So that's a big confession to make. Just to give you one thing, in Matthew 16, 13, Jesus asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah's, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And this is the key. But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter says, you are the Christ. In other words, the Messiah, the son of God. Now you say, well, why would you read that? Because this is the apostolic testimony that will save any and all sinners who will believe it. And this right here and will confess it before the world. Our problem with believing it is no problem. Confessing it before the world is where your problem is. Y'all with me? You know, it's like when you go to a restaurant and everybody's around you. And so everything gets quiet. You say, well, it's time to pray. Let me tell you something about Jim, Pastor Jim. He will pray anywhere, loud and clear. I'm going like, calm down a little bit, Jim. You know, you're, it's people in here, you know. <laughs> you know. But he will do it. He really will. And uh, you know how you go and you kind of say your prayer like you usually don't bow your head, but you bow your head because, you know, you don't want nobody to think you're actually praying, you know. And so that's the same thing with confessing Jesus as the Son of God. You are ashamed to say his name before the world. Oh, yeah, we can confess him in here. You're good. But in the world, look, look, I'm a Christian, but I, look, I'm not into all that crazy fanatical stuff. Okay. You know what the crazy fanatical stuff you're talking about is the name of the son of God. They don't care about everything else, about dress and what I drink or smoke or whatever they, you know, they think about. They don't care about all that stuff. The one that bothers them and the name that bothers them is the name above all names. And that's the name of Jesus Christ. That's the one that bothers them. And so Paul says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, the second thing about this confession is that this seems to be a simple confession, which, like we said, anybody can make whether they believe it or not. But I want to read you what one man reminds us of. He says, to confess Jesus as Messiah and Son of God was a costly act in the first century A.D. You could even lose your life. This confession would separate you from the nation of the Jews, and it would also uh, separate you from the life of paganism because they wanted you to renounce Jesus and not confess Jesus. Now, let me warn you this morning, this coming to America, you know, they're not going to want you to believe anything about Jesus soon. And there's a group that wants to see this happen. They, they think that Christianity is the most evil thing that there ever was. You know, of course, the devil has them thinking this kind of stuff. But it's coming. You know, it's coming the day that we will pay a bigger price than we pay right now for our faith. It's on the scene. But the reason why I was going to tell you about this confession, because it's a public confession. It's a decisive confession. It is a confession that throughout history, many people have died because they made this confession. 
And like I said, you can do it amongst people that you know, but the world hates this man, Jesus Christ. And some of us, before we were saved, hated the Lord Jesus Christ. But this confession will cause people to stumble. I was so blessed the other day. I seen this, uh, I'll be through shortly. I know some of you are saying, look, John, you know you're going past. Look, we don't even have a clock back here, so you know, I don't even know what time it is. But it was a girls softball team from Oklahoma. And I'm sitting there, I'm saying, well, you know, they, they, they was going to talk to him. It was like four girls. They sent him on this panel, and they said, you know, they want to ask you about your success. You know, you won the World Series, and, you know, how'd you do it, and where'd you get the strength to do it? You know, all these great things they always want to ask you. These girls started out with Jesus. I'm going, uh-oh. And this girl, this woman that the, the, they kind of, well, the woman really wasn't hostile toward them, but the woman that was interviewing them and stuff, she kind of backed up. And so the first girl was talking about that she got strength from him because she's united with him and starts saying stuff like that. I'm going, this is good. I'm going to watch this. Every one of them bore witness of Jesus. And this is what I'm going to say this morning, and not God. You say, why do you say that? Because that gets you off the hook. But it was that name that they really don't like to hear. And those girls stood up. I had to give it to them. They, they did better than I probably would have did. You know. And they said, you know, they was talking about his goodness and his work in their lives and in their hearts and how they was committed to him and stuff like that. I could not believe it. But they did it. Now, were they still alive this morning? I don't know. But I'm going to tell you this. They had the gumption. Remind me of Daniel to do it. And you young people, you're not cool no more. Yeah, you'll be cool until you show somebody the real Jesus. And then you'll find out what cool is because they hate him. And we want them to love him, but they hate him. And these girls were not ashamed. They were not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God. And the third thing that Paul says, I mean, John says here, the fact that we abide in love is evidence simply that God abides in us. God is love, and he who abides in love continues in God. God continues in him. And he says, we have known and believed the love God has for us. And John's just saying, because he's an apostle, they have known by experience the love of God. And they really know by experience the love of God because they were eyewitnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ ministry. Calvin says, he translated, we have known by believing the knowledge of the love of God is attained by faith. And this applies to any and every believer that we know the love has, God has in regard to us through experience. And that's walking with God daily. Now, so what basically I'm saying this morning is God's love for us that has brought a response from us that makes us love one another. It's his love. The love of God for us in us, I'm going to say in us, points to God's love that has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And this love that was poured out in the day that you got saved is still manifesting its proof and its power in our lives to the world and definitely to the church. And so the manifestation of God's love in the Son of God is no longer visible on the earth when he walks on this earth, 
but God is now manifesting his love as it's been displayed in the lives of his people as they function as the body of Christ. Now, I'll tell you all the time, this is your family right here. Now, we got other family, but they live other places. So we visit them and travel, see them and stuff like that. But in this church, this is your family. And I know a lot of people don't like for you to say that, you know, they want to still be free. But if you're in Christ, we're all one in Christ. And this is your family. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. The love of God will be displayed in the unity and diversity of the body of Christ as it's lived out each and every day of our life. So, Paul is saying something real simple this morning. You want to know whether or not God's love abides in you? You love one another. That is so simple. Because, you know, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love grows in us to maturity, to perfection, to completeness. You know, we will never have a perfect love until we get to the other side. But God's love is always perfect. And we'll see next time the perfect love cast out fear, which brings torment and, you know, all kind of stuff that's with an unperfect love. But the love that God has put in our hearts when we were saved is the reason why we can sit in this room together this morning and love one another. And I'll tell you, brethren, I'll tell you again, the world doesn't have a race problem. It's got, it doesn't have a racial problem. It has a race problem. That's what I mean. You say, why? The human race is corrupt, sinful and evil, hating one another and all these things. Only the gospel of the Holy Son of God will straighten any of it out. And if you don't believe that, you don't believe the gospel. Because look at what it did for us. And look at what it's doing for multitudes throughout the whole wide world. You say, well, how can I help in this world's problem? Preach the gospel. That's it. That's all we're telling our family. You know, like, you know. And, you know, we got people that are actually seeing what God did in our lives because we've been saved so many years. And people are coming and telling us. Because, see, I think when you first get saved, people are looking at you and say, let's see how long this will last. (laughs) And there was times I was wondering how long it's going to last. But it's God's grace. It's the love of God in your heart that will put your feet in heaven on that last day. That's it. But we love one another because he first loved us. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for your love this morning. And Father, we realize that we take it for granted Father, we realize that we've abused it. But, Father, you still love us anyway. And, Father, you remember that we're but dust. But, Father, we pray for those who are here today that have never experienced the love of God. Father, we pray that you would save them and wash them in the blood of your Son. And, Lord, that your love would be shed abroad in their hearts by your Holy Spirit. Father, we pray that the word that has come forth throughout this nation today and throughout the whole world would be powerful to the salvation of sinners and that your love would be seen throughout this whole earth through bodies of believers that meet everywhere in this world. Father, we are privileged to be here in your house today. 
And Father, we pray that you'd give us grace and strength to come back and hear your word tonight. As has already been prayed, we pray that you'd bring our pastor back safely. And Father, we pray that you would give him strength to preach to our souls tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.